The following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. All right, and um, you know, I don't know if you're the hard person or or the one loving the hard person. I'll let you figure that one out, right? But um, it's hard. Um, it is not easy or automatic, um, and yet uh, Scripture is super clear. John is super clear. That, that this is to characterize our relationships within the body of Christ. If we are God's people, if we're born of God, we are to be a people who, uh, who love, right? So um, why do we have such a hard time with this? And, and uh, how can we fulfill this most basic and vital call of the Christian life, right? So let's see if we can uh, get some help on how to make love truly um, what defines us and how people would characterize us. Uh, so we'll kind of look at two main points. The first is, is that, uh, that love really begins with God because God is love, right? That's what he says. So verse 7, he says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. Right? Love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Uh, it's important for us to uh, distinguish and start off by, by stating the truth that love is from God. Right? Love is something that he is the ultimate source and origin of. Love is not something that man invented or that we came up with or that seemed like a good idea to us. Um, uh, love comes from God. He's the origin and source of it. If we're going to love, it's, it's because it comes from him. Right? And, and he says, not only that, but... Uh, he says, if we should love one another, because love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. So love is not something that we, we just do naturally or automatically on our own. It's the result or fruit of being born of God and knowing him. Uh, so that sounds easy enough, right? Uh, but some people would say, well, wait a minute, though. The, uh, do Christians really have a corner on the market on love, right? Can we say that we exclusively have the power and capacity to love, and that if you're not a Christian, well, tough luck, right? Well, of course, a lot of people would say, well, I know a lot of uh, non-Christians, people who are not followers of Christ, who are very loving, right? Unfortunately, sometimes non-Christian groups seem to be more loving than Christian groups, right? There's reasons why people say, look, I, I can find friends in a bar, I can't find friends at church, right? And so the truth is that, yes, Non-Christian people, people who are not saved or born of God, can and do love, right? And uh, But it's, it's important to remember that we do this because it did come from God in the first place, right? He created us in his image as beings, as people who are drawn to and in need of relationships that are loving, right? We, we need each other. Uh, one of the things I got to do when I was back in the States this, this last summer was I got to watch American TV. I never watch TV, but there's these crazy TV shows on, and there's this one now called Alone. Anybody seen Alone? It's about these guys who are survivalists, who are really good at like living off in the wilderness, eating bugs and grasshoppers and stuff. And they, they take these people, and they drop them off alone, literally in the middle of some forest, wilderness area somewhere, and they uh, have this competition to see who out of this group of ten can, can stay out there the longest uh, and presumably not die or 
most of them just give up, right? And what's really fascinating watching this show, these people uh, study this, they practice it, they know how to, you know, get food from all kinds of sources. Uh, but most of them actually bail, they, they tap out, uh, they, they, they quit, right? At any point, they have a radio and they can call and they can say, hey, I'm done with this. And you know why most of them give up? Not because they're starving to death, not because they can't find food or because they're freezing or don't have shelter. They know how to do that. You know why they, you know why they quit? Because they're lonely, right? And over and over here, these guys saying, look, I've got a wife and kid at home. What am I doing out here for weeks in the wilderness? Right? This is not fun. It's not worth it. I want to go home, right? And so we were, we were created for these kind of relationships. And, and non-Christians and Christians alike hunger for this, right? We want relationships where we give and exchange love. It's what makes us tick. And so, yes, non-Christians do this, right? Um, uh, even non-Christian parents know how to establish attachment with their newborn child. And that really becomes the basis, as we'll talk about later, for where love comes from. Um, marriages, you know, it's not just, it's just it's not like, well, you've got money and I've got money and hey, let's get together and we'll have more money. No, that's not what motivates people to get married, even non-Christians. They do it because of love, right? I love this person. I want to spend time with this person. Uh, friendships, even in the secular world, are based on love, right? Caring for each other. So, yes, human beings do love. And, and it's because God created us for this. We were made to love. And we need it. Uh, but the, the truth is, the human expression of love is quite flawed and broken, right? Um, yes, human beings can love, but we, we, we butcher it, right? It's kind of like, have any of you, have any of you parents had, the, had the, the privilege and joy of teaching your child to drive? Anybody been there yet? If you haven't done this yet, start praying now. Because uh, it's, it's, it's an interesting experience, right? And the truth is, uh, uh, really, a 10-year-old uh, can push the gas and turn the steering wheel and drive a car. And I know that because that's about how old I was when I started driving and running into things. Uh, thankfully, I lived on a big farm where there was lots of open space, so it was harder to run into things. But it doesn't really take a lot of skill to actually push the gas and, and turn the wheel. But we all know that driving is more than that. And it's also like avoiding oncoming cars and following traffic rules and making good decisions about a lot of things, right? And so it takes practice. Uh, and it's, it's more than just getting behind the wheel and pushing the gas, right? There's a lot to learn. Or, uh, you know, nowadays, especially with uh, apps and things, you can learn quickly to play a guitar or, or piano, meaning you can learn three chords and you can hammer out a lot of songs. And that's how I learned the guitar. I, I learned my three chords and, man, I can hammer out a lot of songs. But that's not necessarily the same as making music, right? Like really making music, beautiful music that expresses the heart and the soul takes a lot more skill and practice, right? Well, uh, yes, you can butcher just about any song with three chords, right? Um, but it's not the same as making music. We can butcher love. We can make an attempt at it, but that is not the same as loving like God loves, right? God's love is in a whole other category. Uh, and so John says, look, love is from God. He invented it. He's the source of it. Uh, it comes from him alone. And his love is at a whole other level for what 
uh, we do to it as human beings who we tend to butcher it. We tend to mess it up. We twist and distort it. And we turn it upside down from what God's original intention for it was, right? Um, but he goes on and he, and he says in verse 8, he says even more. He says, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love, right? And we'll talk a little bit more about uh, how knowing God uh, produces love in us. But he makes this amazing declaration here that God is love. God is love, right? Uh, he is the source of love, not just because it's, it's an idea he came up with or it's something he was interested in or something he likes to do. Uh, he says that God is the source and origin of love because it's what he is. Right? In the very core of his being, God is a loving being. It's, it's, it's the core of who he is. Um, what word would you use to describe yourself? Right? So... Put your name in. Tim is blank. You put your name in. You are blank. What would you, what word would you put in there? Now, we 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 can think of a lot of things we would like to put in there, right? Things we wish were true about ourselves. Like I would like to say, Tim is a millionaire. I like that. I like the sound of that. Tim has unlimited funds to source ministry all over the world, right? I love that, right? Or Tim is a world-class championship marathon runner. Oh, that sounds great. I love that, right? I'd love to be able to run fast and forever. Um, I would love to be able to say, Tim is 30 years old. <laughs> <laughs> Times two, right? That's what I am. Um, th- these are things that we may want to be true about us, but, uh, but they, they are not essentially who, who I am. At best, it's only a wish or a temporary state. Now, there are certainly people who could say, yeah, I'm a world-class marathon runner, and that would be true on, on, a, on, on a given day. But as time goes by, it's not true anymore, right? You get old. You get slow. It changes. Uh, there was a time when I could say, I am 30, a long time ago, right? I can't say that anymore because it's temporary, it's not really at the core of who I am. See, if it's something that I can say, Tim is this, it means it's unchanging. It's so much at the core of who I am that time and, and circumstances could never change that truth about me. So what, what can I say? Like, how can I finish that statement? Well, I could say, I am tall. <laughs> that is something that's true about me, right? Uh, everywhere I go... My height is the same, and I'm, I'm, I'm basically tall. I'm a little taller than average, right? Uh, maybe you would say, I am short, right? Um, that's something that I can't change. And I didn't actually do anything about it. It's just, it's just part of who I am, right? I could say, I am a, an American. That's my ethnic background. It's, it's where I was born, right? And there's nothing I can do to change that. I cannot say, I am Thai, right? And I can speak Thai, I could be like Amy Carmichael. I could dye my skin brown. I could, I could get a Thai passport. But it wouldn't change the, 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 the nature of where I was born, where I come from. It does not change the inner ethnicity of, of my DNA. Right? I can say, honestly, that I am an introvert. And even though I try to talk to people, I try to have relationships and be kind of out there, doesn't change the fact that in the side, I just want to be alone, right? Uh, I mean, my nature, that's, that's who I am 
uh, and that's unchanging. See, if I say this is what I am, it means I can't help but be that way. I can't actually do much about to change it. It's just who I am. And God says, uh, I am love. He says, God is love. What that means is that God cannot help it. Right? This is an amazing thing. God cannot help but love and be loving towards uh, those he is in relationship with. Right? It is something that is inevitable for him because it is so part of who he is. Right? Love is just not a decision that God decided, well, you know, it's the right thing to do, and so I choose to be loving. No, he is love at the very center of everything he is. He is love. Right? He is love. And so that part of his nature, his character, shapes and forms every kind of relationship he enters into. And so even as a triune God who existed from eternity past his father and son, right, that, that father-son relationship and spirit uh, was a relationship of love. Right? God didn't say one day, oh, you know, son, you know, I should be loving you. <laughs> I don't know what I've been doing for the last ten millennia, but, you know, I just got this idea. I should, I should love you. No, it's who God always has been. Always, always. And how he's been in relationship with, within himself. But also, as he thought about creating the world and the universe, um, he could not help but think about having a relationship with, with all that he created that was loving because it is who he is, right? It is who he is. God is love, right? Um, but we need to talk a little bit about what this actually means, right? What does it mean when it says God is love? What, what does that mean for him to be loving? And the problem is uh, we use the word love to mean a lot of things, right? We use, the love, uh, we use love to speak of how we like pizza, right? I love pizza or I love ice cream. I love chocolate, right? Um, what do we mean by that? Well, uh, we mean I gain a lot of enjoyment out of chocolate or pizza or ice cream, right? I enjoy it, something I, I like. It benefits me when I, well, if I eat too much of it, it benefits me a lot, actually. Uh, I enjoy it. Uh, we can use this word to describe the, the experience of falling in love, right? I uh, remember back in the day when you fell in love with somebody. What did that mean? Well, it means you kind of lost your brain, right? And you started doing crazy things that you probably wouldn't do otherwise. And you, you, you were very interested in this other person, and you're excited to get to know them. And, and yes, you hoped you would get enjoyment out of that relationship, right? You felt like they would bring some spark to your life that would uh, brighten up your miserable existence, right? By this person who would bring joy and sunshine into your life. And you feel these feelings. So love, oftentimes for us, expresses feelings that we have towards others when they bring us, again, delight or enjoyment or satisfaction. Right? Um, but is that how God uses this word? Is that what it means when it says God is love? Does it mean God gets enjoyment out of a lot of things that he likes? Is that what it means? Like, like God is love. It means, well, he enjoys pizza. Is that what it means? Does it mean uh, he gets all stirred up about somebody that he falls in love with? Well, no, right? Uh, it's, it's, it's a very different meaning when it's applied to God. And, and actually, John defines it for us. He wants to make sure that we're clear about what it means when God is love, 
What, what does God mean when he loves, when he comes into relationships uh, and he brings into that his love? What does it mean? Well, in verse 9, he says this, In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. In other words, this is how God has displayed or re- revealed or shown his love among us. Uh, he did that by when God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. Okay, for God, love is primarily giving. And not just giving, but sacrificing. And this was, was the love of God made manifest or made visible or made evident among us when God sent His only Son into the world that we might live through Him. Right? The word only Son describes that God sent something that was the most dear and precious thing to Him. In Jewish culture, an only son, which would have been a firstborn son, was the status of, of a, dearly, a dearly cherished son. It doesn't mean that they didn't love all their children. And uh, looking at it from our kind of democratic culture, we would think, well, it's not fair. You know, you're showing favoritism and blah, blah, blah. Well, maybe they were. I don't know. But the point is, for, for Jewish culture, those that John was writing to, uh, an only son was a cherished son. It was the most prized and most precious and dear to a father. Right? And so this is what God gave. It says He sent this Son, His most cherished Son, into the world. Why? So that we might live through Him. Well, how was that accomplished? Well, we know how it was accomplished, right? We live through the Son. means that without the Son, we won't live, right? We are spiritually dead apart from Christ. And and God sent His own Son, Jesus, into the world that by His death on the cross, by going uh, and laying down His life in our place as our substitute, we have life. So we were once dead in our trespasses and sin. Now we are alive in Christ. We live through Him. Um, That is how God displayed or manifested or showed His love by making this incredible sacrifice to save us through what was most precious to him, his own son. And if that's not enough, John goes on to describe and define it even further in verse 10, where he says, In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that God loved us and again sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Um, there's a lot in this. Let's unpack it just real quick. First off, he says, love is not that we love God. And that's an understatement, right? We did not love God. In fact, uh, apart from his initiating love, we were enemies of God. Remember? That's, what, that's essentially what Adam and Eve did in the garden when they told God, look, we don't choose you because we think you're holding out on us. We choose Satan in his path to be gods ourselves. And we want to be in competition with you. We reject your relationship. We reject your love. And we want to go our own way and do our own thing. And that has been the path of human beings ever since. We are not a people who, who seek God to worship Him. Now, yes, we seek God to get what He has. We seek God to use Him. But we're not a people who in our nature seek God for who He is, to love and worship Him. We go our own way. We want to be our own boss. 
when I share Christ with people, one of the main things that people push back is they say, well, if I give my life to Christ, He's going to tell me what to do. And I don't want that, right? I don't want God bossing me around. I want to live my own life, right? And that's, that's who we are. We are a people who are not lovable, Right, and and the truth is, in our in our own life and existence, like like there are people we want to love, right? We want them to love us. They're lovable. They're attractive to us. That's easy, right? But that's not what love is in God's book. God says, "No, I love people who did not love me. I love people who were unlovable, who rejected me, who, in the end, took my only son that I sent and killed him, put him on the cross, right? I love." Those people, right? I love those who were my enemies. I love those who did not love me. But God loved us. And he sent his own son to be what? The propitiation for our sin. Big word. Uh, propitiation is not a word we use every day anymore. We never use this word, actually. Uh, what does propitiation mean? Well, propitiation means giving an offering to somebody that we have offended deeply in order to appease their wrath and make peace, right? So husband and wife get into a quarrel, and the husband says something really insensitive, mean, and heartless, and he crushes his wife, and she is deeply wounded and hurt and, and, and resentful for her husband. And he, he realizes his foolishness, he says, I'm sorry, but it's too late, right? The, the damage has, has been done, and she, she puts up a wall, right? And he knows he's in trouble, and he knows he needs to what? He needs to make a propitiation offering, right? So he goes to the jewelry store and he finds this really expensive diamond necklace that costs him way more money than he has, right? And he buys it and he brings it home and he says, I'm sorry, but I want to I show my, my sorrow, my grief, my, that I messed up by, by making this offering, right? Well, that's, that's what a propitiation is, right? It's making peace, it's reconciling a broken relationship by making an, an extraordinarily expensive sacrifice to appease the wrath, right? To appease the anger. And some people would say, well, if God really loved us, he wouldn't get angry at, in the first place. Uh, but that's not fair to our, the way we are, right? That's not fair to the way we are. But it's also not true to justice, Right? Justice demands punishment for sin. Right? It is right. It is actually right and just for God to respond to our rebellion and our rejection of Him with judgment. Right? It is, it's right. Right? It's the right and just thing to do. Um, but God is a God of love. And so, He does not hold us under His judgment. But he sent his son to make propitiation. Right? He sent Jesus to, uh, as an offering and a sacrifice to settle his justice and to appease, to turn away his wrath. Right? So, so, so that's love, right? That is love. God sent Jesus to take our place when we were his enemies, when we hated him, when we were full of sin and greed and every kind of filth. And he washed and cleansed us through the blood of Jesus. I love, I love the way uh, Paul talks about this in Ephesians uh, chapter 5 when he pictures it, compares it to marriage. Right? He says, uh, Jesus is like a, a bridegroom 
who took us as his bride, but not as a bride that was beautiful. He took us as a bride who was dirty and messed up. But through his love and through his sacrifice, he did what? It said he made her pure and holy and spotless. Right? He, he cleaned us up. Right? And he made us a beautiful bride uh, because he did the work of, uh, of making us beautiful, making us fit. Right? That's love. Okay, that's the, when it says God is love, that's the kind of love he's talking about. So if we were to define it kind of in, in our own words, it would be this. Therefore, the defini- definition of love based on what God has done for us is this. Love, as, as it is displayed in the character and activity of God, is a relationship where one seeks the best and ultimate good of the other person, even if it means sacrifice on our part, regardless of who the person is or what they have done to deserve such care and concern. Let me read that one more time. There's a lot there. Love, as it is displayed in the character and activity of God, is a relationship where one seeks the best and ultimate good of the other person. We want genuinely what is best for them. Right? Even if it means sacrifice on our part. Even if it costs us something. Regardless of who the person is or what they have done to deserve such care or not deserve such care and concern. Loving is doing what is best for the other person even if they don't deserve it, and even if it, it is a great cost to me personally. That's love. Right? So, so when he says here, Beloved, let us love one another. He's not saying here, you need to like each other more. Right? Although that's helpful. Right? But he's saying this, look, you need to love each other even though the person sitting next to you, you really may not like. Right? Actually. Person three rows up and over to, you know, over two you know how much you don't like that person because they are irritating, because they have quirks that drive you crazy, right? because they're just annoying. You need to love that person. right? Beloved, let us love one another. Uh, No matter how much in your marriage your spouse has hurt and wounded you, and how much you may feel like they may not even love you anymore, he says, Beloved, let us love one another. The coworker uh, that you work with on your team or your supervisor or the guy back in the home office who has no clue and keeps making stupid decisions about your life. And you would just like to, yeah, you would just like to tell them, no, right? Beloved, let us love one another. No matter how unlovely, unlovable, unworthy they are, We are to do what? We are to seek their best, no matter how much they may not deserve it, and no matter how much it may cost us personally to love them, to do for them what is what is best. Right. Um, So this is this is a love that requires uh, sacrifice, and in every way it goes against our selfishness. Right. This is hard because it goes against our selfish human nature, right? And it's hard. So how do we do this? How do we do this? How do we love like God loves? Well, um, 
First, let's talk about the path to failure. Real quick, I've I got to say this, right? This is how not to do it. If you want to not really love well, here's how you do it. You, you walk away from the sermon going, well, Tim said we need to love. John says in, in John 4, we need to love. So I'm going to go out and I'm going to make a resolution. I'm going to be this person. I'm going to be Mr. Love. Right? I'm going to love people. And I'm going to be generous. I'm going to be nice. I know I wasn't nice before, but tomorrow I'm going to be nice. I'm going to be encouraging. I'm going to hug people. I'm going to be Mr. Warmth and Affection. I can do this, right? Because God told me this is what I'm supposed to do, so I'm going to do it. Amen? Yeah, you do that, right? You do that. I can tell you from personal experience, it doesn't work this way, right? No matter how determined you are, and no matter how diligently you're committed to being a more loving kind of person, you have way too much messed up in your own life to make this work, right? You are way too selfish and too greedy and too worried about being loved. You cannot do this. You can try, but uh, and you, you may have some success, but uh, the next time that, that really unlovely person gets in your face and is obnoxious and rude and annoying, I'm telling you, you are not going to be walking by the Spirit. You're going to be living in the flesh, and you are not going to love them back, right? Because we can't do this. Why? Because love is from God, not from us, right? God is love. We are not, right? Uh, God is the source. God is the one who does this. We do not. And so if we think we can do it just by commitment and diligence and by trying harder, we will fail. Right? So how then do we love better? How do we be this kind of people? Well, it's in these, in these simple words in verse 11. These simple words. Beloved, if God so loved us. Okay, those words right there. Beloved, if God really did love us this way, then we can and ought to love one another. That's the secret right there. Do we, are we convinced at the extent of God's love for us? Right? Do you know and have you experienced in powerful ways God's touch of love in your own heart and life? All right? If you have not experienced that, you can't do this, right? Why? Because love is from God, not from me, right? It's something we have to receive first before we can give it. It's kind of like me saying, you need to go out there and you need to give away this week a million dollars. Well, probably most of you that's going to be hard because I'm guessing for most of you, you don't have a million dollars, right? Maybe you don't have, maybe you don't have a thousand baht, right? I don't know. Uh, you can't give away what you don't have. And that's certainly true of love. You cannot give away what you don't have. And you, you must get it first. And that's really what his point is in this passage, right? He says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Right? So look, if you've been born of God, it means you have somehow experienced this love in a way that's given you rebirth and made you a new person. It means that you have come to know God in such a way that you know and have encountered his love. And the result of that encounter is that now you have a capacity and a calling to, to love as God loves. Right? Um, 
anyone who does not love does not know God, right? Because God is love. And if you really knew him, you would know his love. And, and really that's what, what John is saying here. He's, he's saying, look, if you really claim to be a Christian, if you really claim to be in a relationship with God, you cannot know God without knowing his love because God is love. And so uh, essential to a relationship with God is knowing personally uh, and experiencing his love in your life. Um, and and that, that experience is life-changing, right? Uh, but it's also hard, right? When I first came to Christ, uh, I, I read what it said in the Bible that, that God sent his son for me. I knew Jesus died for me. I knew that through his blood my sins were forgiven and washed away. But I knew it just in my head, right? And for years, I lived with this feeling deep in my heart that, well, of course God doesn't love you. You're an idiot, right? Why would God love you? You're messed up. And I thought, and I, it's because I misunderstood really the nature of love, right? I thought, I thought God would only love me if I was lovable. And so I tried really hard to be a good person. I tried really hard to do what was pleasing. I tried really hard to get my life together, because I thought if I really became the kind of person that I knew I was supposed to be, then, well, then God would love me, right? But see, that's a mistake in misunderstanding what God's love is, right? God loves because God is love, not because I'm lovable. God loves based on who he is and his character, not on how I live or what I do or what kind of a person I am. And I had to come to grips with the fact that God loves very unlovable people because it's about God and his character, not my performance, not me doing the right things. I had to encounter a love that was completely unconditional and believe that it's true. What about you? Do you really believe God loves you? And if you do, do you believe God loves you? Because, well, of course God loves me. Why wouldn't God love me? I'm wonderful. Like, I, like God, yeah, God loves me, right? But you may not really understand. If that's how you think it is, uh, you may not really have a clue, picture of who you are, right? Um, or you may be on the other extreme and say, well, no, I'm terrible. Why would God love me? Right? And, and the problem with both of those views is we... We're basing God's love on our own performance. But that's not God's love. Uh, this, and this is love. Not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be a propitiation for our sins, right? Um, um, and, and the thing is, this kind of love is life-changing. Right? To encounter this love changes us. And we know this uh, really even from just a human level. Uh, one of the things that uh, I got to study and be involved in a lot in a whole other life a long time ago was I uh, worked with un- uh, children who had attachment disorder. What that means is when a baby's born, uh, moms just instinctively know how to bond with their child. And they care for their child, they hold their child, they make eye contact. And through, through loving and nurturing and caring for this baby, uh, the baby learns to trust the mom, the mom 
and, and learns to experience through that, that care and attention and affection what love is. And what happens is this baby grows and develops, and soon the baby uh, is, has the capacity to trust and to love in return. Right? Uh, that's not wired into us automatically. Right? It's something we learn by being loved from our moms or from a, a caregiver. Right? But we also know that if a, if a parent is not there, so if a baby's tossed out or if the mom's unable or unwilling to care for the child, they, they develop what's called a detachment disorder. They're unattached. And instead of uh, having trust and love, what develops is fear and mistrust. And that child will not seek to love others, but will seek to control, control and manipulate them. And that child, if it's not fixed, will grow up to be a sociopath. And they will use people uh, in hor- sometimes horrible ways. To, to get control. And the idea is that they know nobody's going to take care of them, and so they've got to take care of themselves. And the only way they know how to do it is to con- control and manipulate. Right? That's not love. Right? Um, and the only cure for that is love. The only cure is for that person uh, to, to be experience love from someone who will break through all of that. Um, and it's hard, right? It's hard. Um, well, there's a sense in which we all have some kind of attachment disorder, right? Human love, even the best human love, leaves us all somehow short. It leaves us somehow short and broken. And, and even the best mom, the best parents, the best lovers, uh, there's just too much uh, selfishness that gets mixed into it, right? And so we all end up with a deficit of love. We all end up with people who cannot love perfectly because we have not been loved perfectly. And the only cure is to experience perfect love that comes from God alone. Right? So how do we do that? How do we come to know this love, and not just in our head, but to experience it? Well, uh, three, let me just give you three things. First, uh, we must ponder who God is and what he's done for us. Right? We, we really have to dig into the scriptures and dig into the word and really come to know this God. He says, he says uh, let us love one another for love is from God and whoever loves us is born of God, has been born of God and knows God. Well, it starts there. We have to know him. We have to dig into scripture and really come to know the true character of God. And uh, reading through scripture, we will find that he is a God of amazing love and patience. He loved Israel. Like, and if you go through and understand what Israel was as a people, you're like, wow, there is, there is love. There is patience, right? There is loving the unlovable. And you can go down the list, right, over and over again. He is an, a God of unfailing love and faithfulness, right? We need to immerse ourselves and ponder who this God is and really what his character is, um, that he is a God of love, and a, a love that's defined as John does. A, a love that loves the unlovable, a great personal sacrifice to himself. Second, it means we must constantly be reminding ourselves that God's love is based on his character, not on our worth or merit. Right? Satan loves to throw that lie at us all the time, right? Well, why would God love you? You're a, you're a messed up. Surely God would not love you. Right? And we must... Constantly be reminding ourselves that God's love is based on His character, not our performance. 
Right? Thirdly, we need to reflect deeply on the sacrifice, the enormous sacrifice that God made to save us. Um, sometimes we make the cross just so trivial and trite, right? We can say these words so easily, well, yeah, Jesus died for my sins, right? Do we really appreciate the tremendous cost it was to God to give up his only son, right? We need to, we need to ponder and reflect deeply on that and come to, um, to let it touch us, right? In short, understanding God's love means reflecting on the wonders of the cross daily. Right? Reflecting on the wonders of the cross daily. Until it becomes so much more than just head knowledge. Until it becomes a truth that is so deeply rooted in our hearts that we know it as an experience. And not just as a fact. Right? Do you know that love? Right? Do you know that love of God for you, right? Uh, it is life-changing. And he finishes, John finishes this section with these, these words. He says, no one has ever seen God, right? You, you cannot know God. It would be great, right? It would be great if we could see God. It would be great if Jesus would show up. And, and there would be something life-changing about that, right? If Jesus showed up this morning and we saw him, in fact, uh, other places in Scripture, it says that we will be changed when we see him, because we shall see him as he is. That's awesome. But John says, but that's not now. right? That's not what we get now. No one has seen God. And so if you're hoping to be changed by an actual personal encounter with him face to face, you've got to wait for that. But, he says, but if we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. Um, what, what he's saying here is, look, th- this can work. Like, you can know God's love in a way that is life-changing. And when you do, it will, it will create not a vicious circle, but a victorious circle. Right? You know what a vicious circle is? It's like, this happens, and then it causes this to happen, which causes more of part A to happen, and it's this downward cycle. Well, a victorious cycle goes the other direction, and it, it works like this. It means that, we experience God's love and we come to know how much God loves us and it changes us and it makes us actually want to love others. And as we love others, you know what it does? It reinforces in us God's love for us. And the more we experience that, the more we, we love God, the more we love God, the more we want to love others. The more we want to love others, the more we experience God's love. And it's a victorious cycle ever going upward, right? Of, of growing deeper and deeper in, in the experience of God's love. And so he says, so, so the love of God is perfected in us. God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Right? Wouldn't it be great if that's what characterized the church? Wouldn't it be great if this is what characterized your, your relationships where it's this ever upward spiral of love? Not because it's always easy, but because we are being changed to love like God loves. To love those who don't love us. To be patient and kind with those who are mistreating us, right? What does this look like? Let me close with this real quick. Uh, This looks like loving the unlovely and those who don't deserve it, right? 
This doesn't mean just loving those who are lovable. It means especially loving those who are hard. Right? It means seeking what is best for them, which often means extending grace and forgiveness. In fact, it always means forgiving those who have wronged us. Right? That's love. Uh, God forgave us. It means we learn to forgive others because that is best for them and for us. It means serving and giving even when it costs us. Even when it costs us a lot. Right? It means being generous in ways that are sacrificial and serving in a ways that are not convenient. It means sacrifice. Giving up what I want for the benefit of others. Um, now, it does not always mean giving people what they want, right? It doesn't mean always giving people what they want, but it does mean giving people what they need and what is best for them. Sometimes it means telling them the truth or confronting them, which is never fun, but that's sometimes what love does, right? Because it's the best thing for them, right? Because we want to see them grow and because we genuinely care for them, right? It means, it means being motivated by love and a desire to see what is the best for others. Like, like that should be how we live our life. God, I love you, but I want to I be motivated today by uh, helping others see the very best accomplished in their life. Right? That's what John means when he says, Beloved, let us love one another. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Let's pray. Lord God, first of all, we just come uh, and acknowledge that you are love. That is, it is the very essence of your being and your character and who you are. And Lord, we also acknowledge that um, it's hard for us to believe it. It's hard for us to wrap our minds around it because your love is so uh, contrary to our own nature. Your love is so different from what we experience in human love. Your love is perfect. And your love is absolutely good. So Lord, we pray first of all that you would uh, reveal to us, as you have through Christ, but to make it ever more real in our life, this love that you've manifest through sending your only Son for us. Lord, may we know it. May your Spirit drive it deep into our hearts so that it's not just a fact or a piece of information, but it's the very joy of our life that we know and experience deep in our soul. And Lord, may it change us. May, may your love uh, transform us into people who are uh, motivated in every way by love toward others. Lord, that we'd be the kind of people who have a whole new supernatural capacity to sacrifice and to give unselfishly to those we live with. Lord, help this be what characterizes us as the body of Christ, as a church, as a local group of believers who do life together. Lord, may we truly know how to love one another. And may, uh, may your love be perfected in us as you've promised
in this in this amazing word. And we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org.